You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. One thing I like to talk to a lot of guys about, Phoebus, is uh, what are your thoughts on paying college football players and college basketball players? I know it gets very complicated with Title IX. Clay Travis, this is something that he has discussed on his show, Outkick. And um, it's very interesting to me. Like he says, like that there's, there's no way that you could do it due to the federal law because um, you would have to eliminate so many of the female programs. I mean, my take on it is quite honestly, I think that college football and college basketball players deserve to be compensated. And if it took uh, drastic downsizing of the athletic department, meaning cutting all the other sports, and cutting the coaches' salaries, then by all means, I think that's uh, that's a way that they could get the money. You know what I mean? But uh, that that's my take. There's probably not a lot of people in that boat, but I love college football. I love college basketball. Those are my two favorite. You know, I, I'm just a firm believer that uh, players definitely deserve a little something extra, maybe about a 3K stipend every month. You know, just give everyone like a flat, flat payment and, uh, you know, guys like Clay Travis argue that these players are arguing for uh, way too much. But especially during uh, coronavirus, you have the you have the Big Ten doing the Unite, uh, the Unite thing, the Pac-12 players. To me, this is uh, this could be something that revolutionizes college sports uh, forever. And I'm happy that the players have finally decided to uh, speak out for themselves, especially during covid I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Phoebus, but uh, to me, I nobody loves college football more than me. People say that people are rooting against sports. Listen, I want players to be safe more than anything else. And I love football more than anything else. But quite honestly, there's no way to do football in a bubble. I think they just need to push it to spring and see what happens. But um it just kind of makes my stomach turn, man, seeing so, all these players test uh, positive for COVID, man, because we don't know the long-term ramifications of the virus. And, uh, man, it, it just, it, it really makes me sad that all these athletic departments are, you know, constantly saying that they, they care about the players. But the reality of it is anyone that studies it hardcore knows that it, it's all about the money. And this, you know, pandemic has proven us that, it's all about the money and the players are just commodities. Yeah. When, 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 you know, being in Ohio, which I still am, you know, when COVID was being discussed, you know, I, I was paying attention to it. You know, when you hear about the numbers and you hear, okay, this Chicago hospitals donate or not donate, but dedicated this amount of money for it. Like to where I was a little bit ahead of the curve on, on hearing the rumblings of, Hey, don't sleep on this just yet. And, uh, the moment, that really switched for me was when the, the NCAA tournament was, was, was canceled because you, you nail it on the head, money, follow the money. You know, that's, that's a cliche that's used, but it's no secret. And it's the same in the NCAA where when they turned that down, I realized, Hey, there's something bigger going on here. And I didn't know at that point in time what that was. And I, I know right now there's, there's so many different swirls and, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty deep into this thing now, even though, Look, I, I think the way that the virus is designed, I'm no healthcare professional. I don't like to opine that I am, but, you know, when we talk about, you know, long-term ramifications or whatnot, you know, when I saw people walk away from it, I really thought 
hey, the next black plague was coming, you know, the bubonic plague. And I really didn't know what to think. Hey, you know, what's with China and with numbers and we don't know yet. So I, I can tell you, it's not that I'm not responsible now, but, you know, back then to, for the NCAA to cancel the NCAA tournament for me was just an eye opener. And, and uh, you know, I think the stock market that week lost, you know, trillions of dollars and say money doesn't lie. And, 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 and fast forward that, you know, when it comes to the college athlete and, and what they're all about and getting paid, I mean, I've been asked that question a number of times and, and seen it from both sides, you know, as a Mac football player to where, you know, yeah, you might get your pill, you might get your uh, basketball, you might get some aid there, here and there. To where I'm not an expert on that by any means, where I saw guys in the locker room that could qualify for that. And normally it meant they came from a lower income, uh, you know, uh, family or they claimed an independent. And to where, you know, living off campus at that point in time, you got $3,100 a quarter. But that had to, you know, they took some of it back because they were trying to establish training tables. I had to pay for your rent, utilities, and just living for, you know, 10 weeks, which a lot of people are saying, hey, you know what, I worked at Jimmy John's and, and threw together, you know, uh, anything I could and ate on ramen noodles. I, you hear that all the time. Or like Joe Burrow says, hey, I just want a cheeseburger. You know, to put yourself in our shoes, yeah, you're getting your school paid for, but not everyone is, but you're getting your school paid for, but that doesn't cover when your mom's sick at home, you know, which we had a player whose mother, you know, got, you know, very sick and he couldn't go home because look, they didn't have two nickels to rub together. And, you know, his scholarship check was pretty much spent then. Um, and, you know, at that point in time, to get a, a flight home was, you know, very expensive. And that would have eaten into where you're talking about, you know, $800,000 plane ticket when I just told you, you get 3100 and if you get a Pell Grant or whatnot, which not many people did. But, uh, you know, that, that touches you. And you realize real quick, not only that, you can get in trouble. And you put your jet, your, 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 uh, your, um, let me spit it out here. Your, your, uh, um, what is it? Stipend? You, stipend? You, you, no, you put your, um, in jeopardy, your status in jeopardy. Right. Your eligibility. That's right. the word I'm looking for. You put your eligibility in, in jeopardy where you're like, it's not worth it. Look, to go work this job over here. And quite frankly, if you want to be competitive and, and not much less the student athlete aspect, yeah, you get tutors. Yeah, you get this, but I just, you know, max it. You know, you're playing on a Tuesday, you're playing on a Friday, you know, your weight room. You, yeah, you're flexible around the weight room, but making it work to where, yeah, get your little violin out. You know, how does that, you know, make me feel any bit different? But you add all those things together to where, hey, look, the money there, you might not have the money at the MAC level, but especially at these larger schools, you know, like the Ohio State, the Clemson, the UTs, and, and such like that, the Notre Dames. Yeah, but how do you do it? So many people want to take that conversation right down a rabbit hole where, hey, you know, uh, well, why do you get it, Phoebus? You know, your career stats have three, you know, three career, you know, completions. Why, why, why would we ever pay you? Take your scholarship and, and, and you rob the school to say, no, it's not really that. It's the principle, you know, just, I guess, fairness. Well, life's not fair, but how do I break it down to where, yeah, there is a stipend that you could, you know, help break out to where, look, it's a flat rate and you have it prorated to where the location of the school is or what the conference wants to agree to, you know, to where, you know, there's a cap on it, you know, to say, hey, if you're, you know, at a power five school, this is the most paying a stipend. And I guarantee you a lot of it, those schools will match that. So that doesn't become a competitive advantage when it comes to recruiting. But where I really, I don't know the best way to do that. I'm not even going to pretend that I do. I don't think anyone really does yet. But where I differ and where I think the biggest change we make is just allowing players to own their likeness. 
you know, I, I just being in Columbus and around Columbus, you know, Justin Fields, if he wants to go to Buckeye Corner and sign, you know, autographs, well, he's earned that his reputation and earned the starting position at Ohio State to give that value to where let him earn that money. Yeah, where that I agree. Is, you know, value to where I think if you allow them to own their likeness, yeah, well, the amateurism, well, let's not, let's not sit here and pick and choose what amateurism really is when it's pay to play, you know, for, you know, the amount of money that's involved. You know, they, these are these are amateur athletes. No, the only thing that's amateur about it is the fact that they're not compensated because the effort and the time that's put into it I mean, it's it's the same requirements where you want to keep that full ride or you're going to keep football priority. No matter what these coaches say, you know, to where they'll support you and they think that you can make both work and they will support you. But ultimately, the time's got to come from somewhere and the sleep's got to come from somewhere. And, the you know, the overall commitment and the focus has to come from somewhere to where, yeah, you can balance it. But, you know, the reality is a lot of, you know, when I was at OU, they tried to get me to take CPR three times. That didn't put me any closer to graduation, you know, to where it wasn't like they were trying to keep me eligible because I was the starter. It was just that attention to detail that was paid at that time. And, you know, I know that they've made some investment. I haven't been around the program to pay attention to that. But, you know, just the overall, what are you doing to better that person, you know, as a, as a, as a man, as a, as a student, you know, furthering their career to where when I was going through the program, you know, there's a, a random few like Jameson Harkey or Dave Carter or, you know, Mike Brown that could go major in something else the reality is a lot of us there was no minimum gpa uh i think it was 2.0 just to stay in school for recreational management and for health service administration and i think the big kicker was once that was found but you know and this is the two two or three years you know that i'm talking about because i didn't declare until i was a sophomore uh and i was one of the first health service administrations to where you know could you pass accounting 101 or not and in that sense that was the most failed class on campus if you could, hey, you're going to go uh, health service administration if you're not if you don't have the ability to prove that yeah you're Tom stuff and you can hang in the engineering school, you know, and and from there that's not really bettering me, you know, that's not really focusing me, that's not really giving me the direction that I need. And like I said, again, my little violin, but that's to say, hey, all the time, the commitment and the effort that you're putting into, who's directing these kids on the academic side, and what time of commitment can they really put into it? You know, a, a tutor. You know, they can't learn it for you. They can only help teach you. And so really, you know, the stipend aspect of it, that would be nice, you know, but really, I don't know how I feel about that other than, yeah, I think there's ways to make it work. But the likeness aspect, that's where I think, hey, look, you can't punish a Reggie Bush. You can't take a Heisman away. Yeah, he broke the rules. I got it. You know, to where you can, you know, based on the the context and the time it occurred. But from a principal standpoint, look, if someone's willing to pay it, you know, where's the where's the the slap on the hand to the guy that you know is the, is the big time booster that does know better? Because if I'm a, a kid that hey, put yourself in college again, you're hungry, you are you know working your hind end off, and someone comes in, you know, and maybe you're naive, that's not an excuse for you to be a naive. But hey, look, it's the reality of that time frame, you know, and and some they start offering you, hey, I'm going to get you a leather couch. Or I'm gonna, you know, cut your rent. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably gonna take that, you know. And and that's the reality of the situation. Is to where when so much of this comes down, it's the athlete that pays the cost. Okay. Well, we're not gonna take your money. Oh, you can't come around the team anymore, but you can still have sway and still interact with the coaches. To where okay, what's that really do? But to where I'm saying, you know, some of these corporate folks and corporations and, and boosters that throw this cash around, 
you know, there's not the accountability. It all comes back on the athletes to say, hey, what are you doing to protect your athletes? And then realistically, why can't we reward the athletes for the hard work that they've done it? But to where it is on an individual merit basis, you know, the socialistic effect of giving everyone a flat statement. Okay, you do that with scholarships, but I can tell you, you just aren't, you have to renew your scholarship. And I think that came up in the credentials. You have to resign your scholarship every spring. You know, at OU we did. Right. That's weren't, something you, you that's weren't guaranteed some, that. Yeah, that's something that a lot of people don't know. I remember, uh, I forget when I learned that, but yeah, you're right, Phoebus. That's something that a lot of people don't mention when they talk about scholarships is that they get renewed every year. They think it's just set it and forget it. And I, I can tell you, it's decisions for the business. And, and, and people talk about, you know, in the business world, well, this is cutthroat. It's like, no, look, look until, and I can only imagine what the NFL is, uh, you know, this, that's cutthroat. That's what cutthroat is. And so the reality is with that, you know, uh, and applying that in the lessons learned, I always tell folks I learned more in that locker room than I did in any college class. And just from people, from the diverse backgrounds that we had, you know, you got to think I was an army brat, so I had a little bit of taste. My dad raised me, you know, no matter what your background is, we all believe the same. And you know what? They all died the same for their country. So, you know, take everyone at face value for what they're bringing to the table and, and check the rest of the door, including your ego. And I think at the locker room, bringing that attitude in there, especially during the transition we were at, you know, with Coach Schultz coming in, the NOR guys, the OU guys, or the Schultz guys, you know, he was taking a lot of JUCOs at the time. And, you know, that was before JUCOs were such such a regular thing where back then it was like, hey, does your program accept JUCOs or not? Because if you think about it, you know, when they make these recruiting promises out of high school, they don't mention that they're going to JUCO you over. You know, and, and I guess you know if that coach is a JUCO type or if he wants to invest in organic talent. And yeah, he'll use, uh, you know, JUCOs as a stopgap to, I guess, a, a, you know, emergency, emergency situations. But, you know, for Coach Solich, he took the Bill Snyder approach at K State where take t- trouble transfers and take JUCO athletes and, um, you know, and bring them in to where you put all that hard work in and, hey, look, the best will survive. And, you know what, if, if they beat you out, guess what? You're not going to be around. And, you know, you put all of that time and effort into that sport for something that's not assured. Say, hey, look, you're going to leave me high and dry. Here I am. Well, you can't legally do that. Well, there's a lot of things that you legally can't that, that people get their own interpretations and get coverage, air coverage on, and they do it. And so you're sitting there with credits. And I saw this happen many of times. And I say many of times to where someone just isn't on pace to graduate. And they might be a quarter away to this day, you know, because after the football season was done, yeah, those states, those schools and those programs, you know, get rewarded for graduation rates or whatnot. Sometimes they would encourage those kids to come back. But ultimately, the reality of what are we, what's our goal to accomplish, it's a business. It's a game that you're playing. There's a lot of money involved, even though you were, you're not raking in the dollars, you know, like a big breadwinner of a big time program. But, you know, to your point, Wade, I don't disagree. You know, when you're talking about Title IX, yeah, that's the legality of it, but it's against the same spirit of which, you know, the same behaviors that I have to use. To There's no entitlement. There's no free ride here. Nothing's free in life. And to where, you know, you get these these Title IX sports that, hey, look, they wouldn't – COVID-19 and the fanless experience is nothing new to them because they've never had fans in a, you know, a, I'm not even throwing sports out there. But there's a lot of programs, you know, to where you, you're talking about these folks, and yeah, they have they deserve an equal opportunity. Well, now why? 
you know, you're not going to give me the benefits out to keep my scholarship because I deserve an equal opportunity. That's not how that business works. But, you know, you take it up a level, you know, well, you guys have to stay amateurs and we're going to keep a level playing ground here, you know, and then follow Title IX to where, you know, these folks and, and the money involved, you know, where you're carrying the load for a lot of these sports, uh, you know, that really generate no revenue, the little revenue. But yet, okay, well, they, their kids don't get full rides. I got it. At the same time, there's an expense associated that you add that over maybe four to five sports. The sad part is it's some other Title IX sports, you know, uh, that might be competitive that have to pay the cost to keep that equilibrium and that balance. So that's what I know. Um, you know, outside of that, I'm no expert on it. But, you know, I do agree. Look, find a way if you can, you know, to, to, to you know, a flat fee on top of the scholarship just to give them some change in your pocket with all the restrictions you have. And then, you know, it would really be nice if you could allow these folks to own their likeness and really start, you know, managing their career on the side to where you're worried about protecting their amateurism, like protecting their innocence. But no, you're just controlling it, you know, and I don't, I hate to call them their pimp, but you're pimping, you know, those guys out versus saying, hey, I'm going to allow you to have the autonomy to do what you need to do, you know, and realistically, what are we talking about? Okay, he takes a leather couch. What does that, what does that have to do with the NCAA? Well, it's unfair when all of a sudden, you know, this school can provide these means, this school can't. Well, that's capitalism. And, you know, I think that's what where you really can get just a rabbit hole spiral conversation on it. But there's so many contradictions, what I'm trying to call out, that trying to make sense of it as a player, it's just hard to do. And it's hard to decipher. And, you know, there's a lot of friends that I have. That, hey, you kids get a full ride. That's enough. Your school's paid for. That's enough. Well, what about the folks that, hey, he tore his ACL out? You know, I had a roommate that tore his ACL multiple times and his knee's bad. I have another guy uh, down in Virginia. I'm not going to mention his name because I'm going to put him out there. But where, look, he's had nine surgeries on, on uh, uh, you know, started off with stress fractures. And now he's to the point where he's gone to the top surgeons, you know, within Virginia. And they're trying to figure out what the heck they can do with his leg. And it all originated in football. And to where I'm not saying that, hey, he has to get this, that, and the other, but those are the types of things that happen that don't really get brought up to where that's an honest injury that, that occurred to where, look, that full ride, was it worth him losing his leg? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, coming from the military, hell no, it's not. So, you know, but it's a, it's a choice that we make, and this is, the you know, the, the decision that we make. It's voluntary. No one's holding the gun to your head. But at the same time, is that the right way to apply it, and is that a fair way to apply it? you know, and, and allowing that type of thought process to go on. Yeah. Um, Beavis, I, I wanted to check with you. Um, can we go till nine o'clock? Is that okay? I know you got to get home to your wife and kids. Yeah, Is that that's okay? Fine. Okay. That's awesome. Good. All right. I got, I got two more big questions for you that I'm going to lock down. First, we're going to talk about Alex Smith. And then I want to talk about your job. All right. Alex Smith, we'll jump into this. God, Alex Smith, I saw the E60 on Alex Smith, Phoebus, and, and you're a military guy and, and a football guy, and you know the quarterbacking position really well. So I'll be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. But I watched the E60 on Alex Smith, Phoebus, and I saw that he was, you know, he was talking about wanting to come back and play full contact football. And, you know, I was like, okay, okay, well, Maybe he'll just like stop at the point that he gets cleared, but he really wants to play full contact football in the national football league. I, I saw the surgery dude. 
Like they took the flesh from his kneecap all the way down to his ankle, Phoebus. He got septic and almost died. They took the flesh off the bone, like completely. It is literally, Josh, the most horrific sports injury I've ever seen in my life. I mean, Alex Smith is lucky to be alive, all right? Like, listen, I love Alex Smith, and I, I love, like, that he's he's got heart and that he's coming back from it. I'm just, I'm thankful that he can walk, you know? Like, sometimes in life, we need to appreciate the fact that, hey, I can walk. Like, I almost died. Like, I get it that he doesn't want to end it on, like, a bad note with that injury, and, like, he doesn't want that to be the end. I get it. Kind of like Joe Theismann has the bad memories of the end of his career. But sometimes in life, you need to appreciate, you know, what you got. And Alex Smith, I mean, my God, watching that E60 on him, he's literally a walking science experiment, Phoebus. He, he had over, it was like 15, 16 surgeries. It was double digit, dude. And literally... He's a walking science experiment. He spoke to a room full of orthopedic surgeons here in Virginia. And I mean, literally, his case is like one in a billion, Phoebus. I mean, like there's never been like an injury quite as severe as his. And he's just, he's lucky he can walk. He's lucky to be alive. I think he's absolutely insane to be wanting to play full contact football in the National Football League. My thoughts are, if you want to like toss the ball around and play with your kids, go right ahead. But playing in the National Football League, man, it it really makes me cringe, man. It really does. I, I hope he doesn't get hurt again because, God, if he gets hit in that leg again, man, it's wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at it from Alex Smith, I mean, it's hard to call Alex Smith an underdog being, you know, with his success and, and his longevity in the NFL, you know, but the reality is the guy out played out in San Francisco. He's just always been, you know, he's never been the person that, you know, you instantly give the benefit of the doubt to. He's had to earn it every step of the way. And, you know, his game is just that of just, you know, a, a scrapper, you know, and he's smart, he's intelligent, you know, he seems somewhat soft-spoken, but see that injury, you know, the flip side of it, and you look at it from a different view is he's thinking, if I can do this, you know, hey, football, you know, I'll go out there and I, at first I sacrificed all this to get, you know, healed up. I don't, I don't, I want it to end on my terms and hell, if I can beat that, then you know what, I'll take the metal leg. If I have to have it amputated on down now, so his injury and from what I gathered from it, you know, anytime you hear septic, you know, normally that can be a death sentence for a high majority of individuals, but he's young and orthopedics. He's very young. You know, I, I was a, a orthopedic device rep uh, for a little bit. And, you know, you realize real quick, you know, the way the bone heals with the soft tissues and, you know, the blood supply and, you know, anatomic reduction and getting it all lined up and such like that. Where, look, if it takes that many revision, revision surgeries, I mean, you know, it's a very, very bad day, which is an obvious statement here. But you add that septic infection and to where the point is, say, hey, it's healed. The fact that he got cleared, though, you know that it has a, a set of very, you know, world elite, global, uh, global elite uh, orthopedic surgeons looking at it where, hey, I beat it. I, I'm tough enough. And at this point in time, what do I have to lose? I don't think it's going to get septic again. If I lose my leg, I lose my leg. For some people, that would sound extreme. 
but to him, he's like, hey, you know what? It's, this is the game that I've sacrificed so much for. It's a sense of pride that I want to live out the rest of my days, you know, knowing that I went out on my own, my own accord. And I, you know, with the boots on and, and I can, you know, the fine line between hard and dumb. And, you know, uh, a mature man wants to live humbly for a cause and a mature man wants to die for one, you know, and, and to wear for him. You know, there's a lot. I, I, I'm not in his mind, but if, if it were me, I can see where he's at to say, look, I love this game. I don't know necessarily that I'm ready to give it up yet. And I see it as a challenge. And If I can beat what I've been through, hell, what's the worst that can happen to me? It's probably already happened. And, you know, some people say that's a naive thing, but that's just the way some people live. And ultimately, if you can do that and you can get it, that, that's, that's really what it's all about. And I, and I pride him on doing that. All right. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, man, that, that E60, if anyone listening to this podcast has not seen the E60 on Alex Smith and his injury, watch that. It's got to be on YouTube or something, but my God, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of football in my life and I've seen a lot of really bad injuries, but dude, Alex Smith, man, I, I hope for his sake, he, he doesn't get hurt and it, and it all works out for him but man dude like jesus watching that e60 was tough man like i think i was in tears at the end of that whoa um you have to the, the, i mean the emotional sacrifice and you know yeah, like i said you know the military and whatnot seeing this you know some of these uh, folks that come home and just you know what they have into it to where look i i, I you know there's a story of a range that but he was he, he had to earn his way back to the line with you know with a you know, a metal leg. And not only did that, he actually got shot in his metal leg and he did multiple rotations with it. He, he did it. He overcame everything. And I think that's just the mindset to where that's what separates these guys is that, look, they give it all they got and they don't leave anything for the swim back. And, uh, you know, with Alex Smith, that's, that's the way that I think he's wired from everything I've seen out of him. And, you know, for that, you know, a leg and, and something to where, hey, look, they're living for something bigger. You know, to where he's willing to take that risk, and your point, you know, hopefully, wish nothing but the best for him. But you know, uh, seeing him go through that sacrifice and that journey, it, you have to pull for him. And, and you know, there's some people out there that has the attitude that that's dumb, they're risk adverse. But look, if he was risk adverse, he wouldn't be where he's at. Yeah, I agree completely. All right, uh, last topic, Phoebus. Before you got to go. Um, talk to me a little bit about your job. I know you work in the, in the marijuana industry and also talk to me about the differences between, you know, the marijuana industry and, uh, CBD because CBD has really, uh, exploded here, uh, the past few years. So I was talking to you on the phone about that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, I'm in the medical marijuana industry here in Ohio. Um, it's been in about three years, So you know, the program. Uh, what started a couple of years back, they, they issued licenses, medical only. Um, but fortunately, um, you know, I had the opportunity to come over from medical device and get into it. And, and we have a, you know, 60,000 square foot facility, uh, you know, indoor grow. We're growing marijuana with THC. Um, and, you know, cultivation where you grow the marijuana and processing is where you turn it into different uh, form factors, you know, edibles, gummies. Uh, you know, of that sort, honey, of that sort, you know, vaporization products, uh, you know, different in concentrates. There's so many different, I guess, categories that niche products, you know, all the way down to suppositories, down to, 
you know, different things where it's just such a world where out West, you know, it's been around for, you know, a number of years where it's gone recreational, you know, in Washington, Colorado, uh, you know, California, to where really that's the triangle, you know, the Colorado and then California. I mean, those are the two meccas in my opinion. And seeing it move eastward to where I divide when I look at the industry, I divide it by Mississippi, you know, the Mississippi River to where, look, if you look at the talent, you know, they've been doing it. They have a passion for it. The culture lends itself more to it where to see the, the paradigm shift and the stigma shift, you know, as we we talk about, you know, where we're at in society and just constantly changing at just a, such a pace. You know, I've seen that just in the, in the two to three years, you know, in my time with the direct hands-on. Cause I'll be honest with you, before, you know, I got involved in the industry, I wasn't good enough at OU to smoke weed. They'd have cut my hind in in a heartbeat if they if I popped hot. So I didn't touch the drugs. And then I went right into the ROTC program where they weren't keen on it either. So that's that's a long story short. It was a, it was an adjustment for me. But it's one where look, I've come to really I don't want to say drink the Kool Aid, but I've seen how much it can affect folks in a positive way. What it's done to the opioid epidemic here in Ohio, where it's really bad. Where look, states where you know they they legalize marijuana. You know, you've seen that rapid decline in, in the addictions and there's no overdoses because look, you know, where the endocannabinoid receptors are, they're not on your spine. So it's not on your brainstem there. And, and, you know, the reality is the DEA said, Hey, there hasn't been any technical overdoses, you know, to marijuana. So, so those are some of the talking points you hear about, but ultimately I've seen Wade, what it, what's done for folks' lives, especially the veteran community. So being involved with it from the startup, from the ground up, you know, we have over 100 employees now, and I was employee number three. So you take that very serious and a responsibility to make sure that in an ever-changing immature market, immature industry, that you're keeping a, a thumb on the pulse. You know, no one knows what's going to happen here in a week, much less you know, in, in, in six months from now. Especially with the political shifts, with with the different things that are going on with COVID, and so on and so forth. So with marijuana, it's it's been like that, you know the whole time, but to see it, you know, deemed essential, an essential business, because when COVID hit, I thought it was a wrap. I'm thinking, no way in a conservative state like Ohio are they naming it an essential business. But, you know, it, it did. It, it, it was, and to say I've been very blessed to be in this industry the whole time, and definitely during this COVID time, and, you know, I was running a dispensary, uh, helping, we had a change in uh, leadership there, and I, I plugged in, and, you know, during that whole you know, from March, April, May, the early months of COVID here in the U.S., we were running the dispensary and we were seeing record sales numbers, you know, and, and record pace because folks were out of work. The anxiety release that they might have gotten, even though that's not an approved indication, you just saw the reality of what it was doing and helping people get through it. And I know there's stats out there like terms of times, times of depression and so on and so forth, alcohol, and everyone's got advice and whatnot, and they increase during these stressful times. But to see the relief that it gave people, that was pretty cool. But, you know, from a from the uh, marijuana side and the business side, I mean, there's so many folks that have been burned, um, you know, by the hype of the industry, thinking that federal legalization is going to happen a lot sooner than it did. But throwing the investments where I, I call it like a Bitcoin, there was just such uber, uber excitement that was off of just blind uh, emotion versus, you know, hey, sound. Uh, investment and you know it can't it's federally legal it's a schedule one drug you know to where it can't be you know we don't have banking you know i handle cash large amounts of cash all the time you know to where that you still get used to that 
you know, the tax breaks, 280E. I mean, the really, the dispensaries, the only thing they can write off is, you know, the, the cost of goods sold, their actual inventory, you know, because other than that, all the business expenses, they don't get to write off. And to where the tax rate, you're talking about, you know, for some of these folks, 60 cents on the dollar, you know, at the dispensary end. So there's a lot of ways that it needs to come. You know, you get a breath of fresh air where, hey, it'll get through, uh, you know, a committee in Congress and you think banking might get through, but banking definitely is low hanging fruit. That's the easiest, I think, or the most um, uh, palatable for, you know, a lot of folks as they start to, to warm up to this. But you look at the approval rating behind marijuana. I mean, from a commodity standpoint, I think only water rates above it, you know, and it blows alcohol and tobacco out of the water. So it's just, it's, it's one of those things that's been around for 10,000 years. Um, and, 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 from our standpoint and the ways to grow it, the ways to, you know, strategically, you know, what offerings do you have, what products you're going to make the business side. That's fun. That's fun. And, and it's definitely fast, fast pace. And you talk about, you know, something that'll kick you when you're down and out. I mean, marijuana and, and the industry that itself, it's, it's, it's changing. And, you know, big corporate sitting on the sideline getting ready to pounce in once it goes federal. So, you know, there's a form of consolidation that's coming. But what's that look like? You know, people talk about big alcohol, big tobacco, big pharma, you know, and, 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 you know, that's a good segue into CBD where, look, CBD became very popular with Charlotte's Web and which is, you know, the Stanley Brothers out of Colorado and then Sanjay Gupta, he shows it on wheat on a CNN documentary. They get the buzzword that's non-psychoactive and then they see the success story of how it's helping with pediatric epilepsy. And then CBD starts to take off. And then, you know, hemp has been around as long as we've been a country, you know, and, and, you know, it's been outlawed here and this, that, and the other as a cousin to marijuana, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, CBD is one of the big extracts where, hey, it became very popular. But what people don't realize around CBD is, look, 70% of the world's CBD in the last that I saw was produced in China. There's uh, two provinces in China alone that produce 11% of the world's hemp. And that includes CBD to where there's two types of hemp. There's the CBD that you use for like medication and there's the industrial hemp side. So a lot of folks are, you know, they'll get it down to isolate, which is a powder form of isolated pure CBD. And they'll put it in diamonds. They'll put it in, you know, hard form. They'll put it in powder and they'll ship it over. And from here, because of the farm bill passing, um, you know, you as long as it's under that 0.3% THC, which is the Delta 9, you know, cousin, and that's the psychoactive. Um, you know, as long as it's under that threshold, it can transfer, you know, interstate. And, you know, Ohio was one of the last to enroll into the farm bill and to have a hemp program, and they're just getting alive now. But, you know, CBD isolate, CBD distillate, CBD, it's the industry that never really happened. Because there's so many athletes that are out there claiming it and, you know, using it. And I find it has really polarizing effects to the folks I talk to. There's and, and they expect this psychoactive therapeutic effect where, hey, look, it's more of a body, body high, you know, the way it works with your endocannabinoid system. And it, it has that, that relief. But a lot of it, you know, 75% of the products aren't, you know, what they are labeled on the list because it's not FDA regulated, you know, and it's a poor form of like weight supplements to where, look, you think you're getting this product. And the reality is if I did testing on it, there might be heavy metals in it. There might be pesticides in it. You don't know where it came from because I can shop a test and then you get that CBD product. And then the other flip side of it is I, I mentioned that 0.3%. Well, 
you don't know what THC is in it. So you think you're taking this non-THC product, someone tells you that, and all of a sudden, you know, hey, you got a random drug test that's screening at work, and you pee, and you haven't, you know, you've good conscience and good faith has never done marijuana, smoked marijuana, and consumed Delta 9, and then you pop pot on a piss test, and there you are, you know? And, and those are some of the things where I really caution people to be careful about it. And then if you look at the actual, the way CBD works, it needs THC, the way the plant's designed, it needs THC for that full synergistic effect, and they call that the entourage effect, where THC and CBD actually work better in concert together than if you were to isolate one off, you know, but a lot, since it is federally legal and it can be permissible, you know, through state lines, you've seen that CBD market boom. But like I said, they call it the market that never was because so many folks thought, hey, they're going to jump into it. They're going to get involved in the CBD. The CBD is going to be great. And, you know, hey, it had already consolidated and they didn't even realize it because, you know, A, there were so many people that piled in and it created just this log jam, this noise. But then B, you know, there's so many suppliers out there that could just pump it in from China and you can't compete with those margins. People are none the wiser. And by the time they find out it doesn't work, you know, hey, they're on to the next patient. Yeah. One last one last item uh, before we go, Phoebus. That was a fascinating breakdown of uh, medical marijuana versus CBD, by the way. I mean, it's uh, this whole podcast has been. Uh, one of my favorites, it's, it's been amazing to hear like some of the thoughts of all these players. I mean, when I first started this podcast was really just thinking, okay, I'm going to talk to these guys about being in the zone for like 10 minutes and that's going to be it. But you guys all have, uh, so many great thoughts to share, not only like behind the scenes about college football, but the industries that you work in, dude, medical marijuana, that is a fascinating, fascinating breakdown that you simply cannot get from a lot of people. So I really appreciate that. Um, my, my lasting memory of you was I'll never forget the day, man. I was standing on the sidelines and I think it was, I don't know if it was a spring game or what, but I, I came out of the stands and, and you were just out there throwing the ball. And I remember I, you were on the, about the 30-yard line. I was like, hey, Phoebus. It's like, let me see how far he can throw it. Yeah. And so you pull up from the 30-yard line, the opposing 30, and you ripped an absolute bomb. Like, the ball is an NCAA regulation football that whistled coming out of your hand like it was a Nerf football and it landed on the three yard line. I will never forget that until I die. I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. Now that was, that was, uh, I mean, that was about what I was good for. It's, it's some arm tricks here and there. And I was a great pregame quarterback, but it was a blessing to play at OU. It was a blessing to meet guys like yourself, Wade. Landon Cohen actually, and I mentioned, you know, Hey, you were, you know, uh, such a talent and enthusiastic, passionate, good person that realistically it was a, it was an honor for us. Uh, and, and I don't, I'm not, that's not just a faint praise. It's not a fake story. It's, that's really how we felt that anyone that interacted with you, Wade, you came away with a smile on your face and appreciating that, Hey, this guy had a true passion and care for what we're doing out here, which is just a game. But you know, the way that you look at sports and the way that you look at people, it was always a genuine, a genuine experience. And, you know, to end it, how we started it, you know, that authenticity and that, that genuine aspect of it, that's definitely something that you left a lasting memory on us. So 
I know that, you know, a handful of guys that I've mentioned, you know, during our times at OU, you definitely go down as one of those guys. You remember as just a good person because this will this will piss off the alumni way at OU. But I always tell people you don't go to OU to become a better person. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was just so much fun being around you guys. I mean, you know, I always loved football. I guess I, I didn't really realize how much I really loved it until like I got in college and I was getting all the like. Uh, I was getting all the preseason magazines, you know, and I'm studying like Cody Pickett, Reggie Williams, like Darren Sproles, L. Roberson. I mean, like, and uh, getting to be around you guys, I'll never forget. Like, there was like a seven on seven, you know, and, and it was such an innocent moment, you know. Here are guys like Division One guys, and it's a business and everything, but you guys were just playing pitch and catch after like seven on seven, like. Landon Cohen was running routes and it was just like right. playing football in the backyard with the boys, you know, like that was uh just an incredibly innocent moment that just brought so much joy for someone like me that just loved the game in uh, every, every shape and form. It's, it's literally probably my first love when I was a little kid, seven years old, saw a Virginia game walking in the tunnel. I'll never forget watching players warm up. It was it was love at first sight, man. No doubt in my mind. All right, Phoebus. Well, I, r- I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, you know sp- spending the hour and and forty minutes ma- with me, man. I really appreciate it. And like I said, fascinating interview. Like just such good information overall. Uh, I can't wait to uh, show you this after it's all done. So I really appreciate it, Phoebus. Uh, stay safe with you, your kids, and your wife uh, during these trying times, my man. Take care of yourself. All right. Take care, Phoebus. See you. Bye-bye. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and tune in.